Thank you for joining Associated Luxury Hotels International for this episode of Beyond the Meeting Room. Beyond the Meeting Room is hosted by Alhai's president and CEO, Michael Dominguez. Each episode, Alhai shares candid conversations on a variety of topics to enhance your personal and professional life. We are joined by Sebastian Terry, best-selling author and founder of the 100 Things Movement. Sebastian joined us at the Alhai Executive Exchange for an inspirational keynote on using goals as a vehicle for change and how to capitalize on the perspective that adversity can bring us. In today's conversation, we discuss strategies for meaningful goal setting, how to process fear through action, and how to ultimately craft a happier life by tapping into purpose and community. Sebastian, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us. I, I am so glad you were able to um, take a little bit of time to spend some more time with Alhai and our family for this this part of the uh, Beyond the Meeting Room podcast, because it's um, it, it has been something that's been so fun for us to continue these conversations that we tend to, tend to start at an executive exchange where you were with us just about a month ago. But my God, time flies. It's already a month. But thank you for being with us. Of course, it's great to see you again. And like you say, I mean, I can't believe it's been a month already, but uh, I think we've both been uh, really, really busy, as has the events industry, which is great. Well, yeah, you know, talk about a comeback. We, we needed it. We're feeling it. Um, we, I, I just did a presentation this morning. We're looking at the industry numbers, and it's surprising that our group demand is already back, specifically in the luxury up, upper upscale segment. Group demand is back to 90% of 2019 business already. Wow, that's fantastic. In fact, I just booked an event for, where is it? Jeez, one in Arizona, but there's a big event at a lovely, is the uh, Aviara Resort one of your, within your association down in uh, near San Diego there? No, uh, no, it's not, but it is oh. a wonderful property and more than anything, keeping keeping the industry busy. That is, that is the important part. I promise I won't enjoy it. <laughs> now, the one thing we always say, there's enough, there's enough business to go around for all of us. And, and that's the beauty of it. And the, and the health of the industry is candidly dependent on everybody getting back yeah. and everybody getting their footing. So anytime we see business moving and face-to-face interactions going, we're happy. We're mm. excited about that mm. completely. So, mm. so you can enjoy it. You have our permission. Feel free <laughs> to enjoy it. It's not a problem at all. Thank you. Well, I enjoyed your event so much that I, I haven't taken this cowboy hat off um, since <laughs> getting it at your event. <laughs> but you, you tell me that people who actually live in Texas don't really wear these. So this is an indicator. Uh, well, I was, I was being a little facetious. So that, you know, the, the true Texans do, and they'll tell you that. And I get the, I get the eye because um, I, I moved out of Texas for about 30 years. And right. then and have returned and I'm like, I got to get back into some of those habits. And it's just it's foreign when you don't wear a hat. But but you're from Australia. So do, hats are worn oh, in yeah. Australia, too, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have the uh, the Akubras. So, um, you know, uh, Crocodile Dundee, of course. Made. Yeah. I, I feel like Crocodile Dundee put Australia on the map and everyone thinks that every Australian is very similar. So <laughs> I just, I just want to go on the record and say. That's absolutely true. We all wrestle alligators. <laughs> that is awesome. Now, you, you just told us when we were getting ready for this, uh, you've done a couple of trips to Australia already. So, uh, I, and, and that was for events as well? Yeah, events are opening up uh, again in Australia. I mean, Australia really locked down. I mean, every, right. of course, everywhere did, but, you know, I hadn't gone home in two years. So I actually think it was just after the Alhai event in San Antonio where, I decided I needed to go home just to see family because usually you know, I'm fortunate enough to do many events over there and I just sort of coincided with, with that. But 
I hadn't been back for two years. So I just flew back to Australia just for family, uh, which was great, which is wonderful. It was awesome. And then I started booking events since. So yeah, I've just been back to Australia twice in two weeks for separate keynotes and uh, one, one workshop, uh, which, is, which is fantastic. I, I'm so, so grateful to, to do this stuff. And yeah, I know Australia is opening back up and yeah, the live events in the US are coming back with vengeance, which is which is awesome. And it's, you know, it's good for, for me as a speaker. It's good for, you know, leading authorities, um, you know, who represent me there. It's great for it's great for everyone. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled. And it's good to hear that you guys are busy and getting busier as well. Yeah. And, you know, Sebastian, I you, you talk about being good. I, I think it's good for human connection. And um, I sometimes I sometimes say, you know, it, it was not only a hard couple of years, but it almost felt like an angry couple of years. And I think part of that angry was that we weren't connecting and we weren't being human beings uh, because it's not in our DNA not to be with other people. It's yeah. just not. Well, absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I thought we were fortunate in the sense that, you know, from my point of view, I was doing lots of virtual talks. Right. And, you know, I, I think certainly you can get, you know, messaging across and you can get certain points and you can, you know, whatever it is for different people, whether it's educating or, you know, sharing a thought or um, you know, sort of suggesting a path forward. I think all that stuff works, but on a fundamental level, as you say, there's no connection. There's no physical connection. There, there's some kind of, you know, uh, energy, if you will, from being in the same room together. And I, I actually did, I, I can't remember which, I, I did an, a, a live event and then I had a virtual event straight after. So I went straight to my laptop and I did it like this. I was doing now. And it just was remarkable the difference, you know, going from a live event, a stage with, you know, however many people in front of me and then a laptop, which at the end of, you know, your keynote, you're like, thank you very much. And the screen goes flat. <laughs> so it's not as enjoyable. And it's just nice to hear a laugh, laughter, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I guess there's an energy you feed off of. I, I know I do when I'm around people, it's that energy and, and it's hard to pull the same energy in a, in, in a TV screen or a virtual environment that way. Yeah, I think that, that that necessity for us to connect, you know, right. speaks in volumes for the, um, you know, the, the how essential community is. And, you know, you talk about community in and out of a workplace, and then you start talking about culture. And I think, you know, workplace culture is hugely affected. And so that's something that, you know, I'm now speaking a fair bit about now that we are actually coming back together and, uh, you know, running these, these keynotes, of course, in, in, in one space. Uh, but also these workshops, you know, we've we, we found that one of the best things through the sort of virtual period that we've gone through is being able to run workshops uh, via Zoom um, and a modulated platform that we have. But seeing people actually sort of work together, even though it's in breakout rooms, virtual breakout rooms, that at least has been a, you know, it has shown that there is a lot of strength from still working together. But again, doing them in person is absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Well, you, you know, you talked about community and I, I think one of the things that I took away and I want you to talk a little bit about the hundred things and, and, you know, kind of your inspiration, how that started. But I, I you know, what was surprising to me was you, you talk so much and so passionately around this community that has been built around the hundred things that I, I think was never intentional. It's kind of organically grown. And I, I just think that, that that was, to me, emulating the beauty of human connection, that this community has grown organically, per se, you know, in your community. But can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I mentioned it on stage, but I, I think all our journeys start alone. You know, we take that first footstep and suddenly we realize that we're surrounded by people. And, and you know, this was a I, I was 
affected by the loss of a friend and it, it sparked me to put a list together of, of things that I hoped would make me happy and so it was a very personal journey uh, one that I never thought would find traction in, in any industry or, or area um, uh, certainly not professionally but of course as soon as I did it people started to reach out they wanted to help me um, complete strangers and friends around the world hey we can help you do this we can give you food here you can sleep at my friend's place you can we can help you jump out of a plane here, whatever it might have been so there's that, of course, um, and I, I often asked myself back then, well, why? Why are these people doing this? And I think really my story sort of represented um, anyone who really heard about it. They saw themselves as, as part of my journey because we all want to find meaning in life. We all want to find a sense of purpose in and out of the workplace. And you know, if we're able to do that consistently over an extended period of time, as I mentioned on stage, I hope I'm not repeating myself, but you know, this idea of finding purpose and sort of having a North Star in every aspect of your life allows us to grow. And it's really good for the individual to grow. But imagine then a, a community of people who are doing the same thing. They're on the same journey. And I think that individual growth leads to a, a sense of collective evolution, if you will. And, and, and that's what happened. So, you know, 13 years on, almost 13 years on from, from starting this journey, it's of course no longer about me. It's about this bigger community that's organically being developed. And from keynoting on stages to you know uh, my book to a reality show to whatever else has happened along the way it hasn't happened because I've wanted it to and I've gone I want to be on the stage or it's just happened naturally and, and to me it's a, such a great indicator that there's something just very true about this that right. we all want to feel good and we all want to do it together and so I feel really lucky to connect with with anyone and everyone and right now it's it's with you and I love that well, yeah, I appreciate that. And and you have very little chance of repeating yourself, by the way, because many people listening to this, it'll be for the first time. So okay. that that is awesome. And and I and those messages I thought were so important because you you were, you know, I get I get the opportunity to hear a lot of speakers. You you were moving and, and inspirational. And and that is what I know we're trying to drive. Uh, but that, that there was a passion. Like I was ready to run out the room and say, okay, what are we going to do? You know, and uh, it was kind of a Jerry Maguire scene, like who's coming with me, you know, who's coming with me. Yeah. Um, but that's what we're trying to get to. And coming out of this, I thought it was so important, so necessary as a message. And, you know, I, I, I was at another group this morning having a conversation and we were talking about if, if one thing happened over the last two years, I think for many people, it, may, it reminded us that we all have a clock and we don't know when that clock is going to end, uh, but every day it's ticking. We need to take it, the greatest advantage of it we possibly can. And, and I, I think that urgency is, is where I really tie into your story to say there's only so much time and I've got so much I want to do in life. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and what you're talking about, you know, as, as I listen to you, is you're talking about perspective. Yeah. Gaining that perspective, that reminder that although, as you say, there's not that much, well, we don't know how much time is left. What right. we are in control of is, is what we do in that exactly. time. And once we remember that, you realize, oh, the actions that I take today, the goals I set and the action I take on those goals today, in fact, will define what I do and how I feel at the end of this period, life, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, I, I, you know, I actually think, you know, from a business point of view, of course, we've all, um, many businesses, many industries have struggled over the past couple of years, you know, the yeah. hotel, you know, hospitality industry specifically. 
and, and I think that's an example of adversity. And, you know, for me, my personal adversity was losing a friend. It, it, it was a shot of instant perspective. And I think it's the same professionally, uh, you know, businesses struggled. It was COVID essentially gifted us with perspective. And I think at large adversity does that. Adversity offers perspective. And once you get that perspective, then you can really start thinking about, right, uh, I can't ch change the past. I understand where I am right now. What's next? What is next? You can't change it. You can't, you can't control, you can't change the things that are happening externally, you know, right. be, it, be it COVID, be it anything else. Um, you can always, uh, you know, affect and control your response. And so that's the beautiful position we're all in now, um, no matter what the industry really, and certainly as individuals. Yeah, yeah, you know, when you showed us some of the things you did on, you know, your hundred things, I, the one thing that stood out to me, because you shared it on stage and you even saw it on some video at times, you, there were a lot of times you were, you were, you were sweating. You were like, okay, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm not sure what I'm doing. Should I be doing this? Um, what stands out to me is you didn't let the fear stop you. You didn't let the nervousness stop you. What advice do you have for people? Because I think that's the one thing that becomes the biggest barrier. Well, let me say this. I'm just as scared as anything else that other people are as well. That, that people who know of my story of 100 things and may have you know, watched a documentary or a show or read the book or whatever it might be, there's a perception which is completely false that I, I'm impervious to fear. I, I, I don't see red lights. I just go for it. And I'm lucky. It's not. I, I, the key to progress, I mean, there are many, but one in, in regard to fear in particular is you don't, you don't just completely lose it. You don't shed fear. You just process it differently. Um, you know, I, I dare say that, you know, when we feel apprehensive, when we feel nervous, when we are full of self-doubt in the face of taking that next step, it's often a really good indicator to take that next step. And the reason we're worried about it is because we, sort of don't know how we're going to perform. We, we don't know, right. again, as individuals, as families, as friendship circles, as businesses, as industries, you know, and, and what we do find consistently for those of us who do take that first step into the unknown, where it's dark, we, we relinquish control of all those external factors I mentioned, we become nervous, as you say, sweating, the heart rate goes up, et cetera. We oftentimes find that we far exceed our expectations because we're, we're far more capable than we give ourselves credit for. And, and I, I really believe that it's actually surrounded by discomfort um, where we're truly able to kind of identify where our edges are and, and exercise that ability to perform under pressure, to navigate adversity, to, to build resilience, um, to build confidence. And yeah, so I, I think being nervous, getting out of your comfort zone is a wonderful opportunity essentially for each of us to grow. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I love what you said. There's this misperception that you don't carry the fear, you don't carry nervousness. Um, I, I've read quite often about, you know, major pro athletes still nervous when they, the jittery nervous, not the nervous that shuts you down, yeah. but the nervous of the anticipation about performance and being able to perform yeah. that I think everybody carries that with them. And there's this misperception that because people are good at something, they don't carry that with them. And, you know, I, I when I have to do something in the industry, I carry it with me. It, yeah. it just, it's there, but I always tell people, it's not the nervousness that keeps me up at night. It's the nervousness that it's this anxiety to let's go and let's yeah. get going. And if you sort of, if you needle into that a little bit more, there's actually, and you kind of put, you know, on a y-axis sort of performance and on the x-axis um, anxiety or, or nerves, apprehension, whatever that is, um, there's sort of a bell curve. So if you're if you don't have much anxiousness, your your performance is 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 kind of like it's down. Um, if you have too much, your performance is down. It's really kind of nailing that 
you know, trying to manage your anxiety through action, by the way. Action is the way you manage this, in, in my opinion. But yeah, too much is, 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 is no good. Not enough is no good. You do want to feel nervous every time I step on stage. And I, and I make a point of saying it every time I'm on stage. I'm really nervous. I actually, I wore a Garmin on a few of my more recent talks. My heart rate speaking was 132, where it was a max at one point. My average was 122. Average heart rate over a 45-minute keynote. Oh, my so, gosh. Yeah, and it's not because I'm walking around or being right? Tony Robbins and jumping up and down. Just for nervous. <laughs> So yeah, I, I I think it's crucial to feel those nerves. It's 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 great. It's a, it's a it's an opportunity, a, a one we should all be grateful for. Yeah, you know it's funny because um, Brett Favre, when he played in the NFL, they used to always talk about his first few passes. He was always going to overthrow the receiver because he was so amped up. Yeah, and he had to, and he knew it. He would be the first one that what he tried to do in his warmups was to work that out of him because yeah. he was throwing the ball so hard. And so high because of that adrenaline rush that he was having. And once he settled down, it just occurred to me when you said that it was the bell curve. Because once he settled down, he was in that sweet spot. And then he would perform masterfully, you know. Well, I I was actually on my list. I think it was number 46 was to have a boxing match. because I've never been in a fight before. Oh, my God. I've never been face to face with someone who was intent on hitting me in the face. (laughs) So that's why it was on my list. And I remember I tried to overcome my nerves by being very cool, calm and collected. But I overdid it. So my my anxiety was actually kind of very well managed, too well managed to the point where my performance was also really, really low. And jokes aside, it wasn't until I got hit in the face that I realized I was in a fight and then you kind of manage it on the fly but I mean a a, a quick side note I just and I I said it earlier people think you can sort of think your way out of nerves or think your change your self-belief just in an instant you can't um maybe you can if you've got a a mind far more powerful than mine let's say but and let's just pretend that everyone is similar to me um, which maybe maybe they are. Uh, I hope they're all slightly better. But, but I think action, you, you just have to act. Different. You might not believe that your outcome will be positive. You, you might feel that you'll fail or whatever. If you just act, if you just take that first step followed by a second and third and fourth and so on until you get as far as you can, again, oftentimes you will find that the result is slightly more positive than you thought it was. And that will in turn change your initial belief and it will go around to create a positive um, you know, a, a positive habit, if you will, a positive way of being. Well, I, I guess it's like anything else you're saying, Sebastian, is the more you do it and the more you're successful at it, the more you're going to feel that you can be successful at it. Yeah. And, and, and it starts to become a little more normal or it doesn't feel as foreign, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, you can, I mean, there are so many, you know, analogies and metaphors to use here, but you, to finish the race, you've got to start the race. And there's right. so much in between starting and finishing that we simply don't know. You can't comprehend or guess what's around the next corner. You've got to get to the next corner. And in the same way that, you know, we, you can suddenly feel, oh, I am successful. I am good at this. You can also, and it's equally as valuable, identify, oh, I could improve there. There's resistance here. I have quote unquote failed in that particular area. And that's fantastic feedback to take on board. Again, as individuals in a workplace, teams in a workplace, right. individual at home, it really, but this idea of goal setting and goal striving applies to, again, professional and non-professional pursuits. And, um, you know, of course, I'm a massive proponent of goal setting. In the first place, we must, must know what's important for us so that we can throw our actions. And yes, of course, an action plan at that particular goal. I, I love it. I, um, I, I think it's, it's nice to hear for somebody who's done it 
that there was actually work mentally behind it, uh, that it wasn't just, I did it and it was easy. Um, Cause I think that's sometimes the takeaway when we watch people be successful at accomplishing something, it's like, Oh, well, I can't do that. Cause they were just, it was easy for them to come across it. And there's always work and struggles behind it. I think that are always behind the scenes. Of course. And that, you know, obviously there are many people far more successful than me in many realms of life. And again, if you were to interview each of them, which perhaps you have done, uh, you'll find that they struggle with something. Yeah. There's a moment of adversity, self-doubt, uh, apprehension, yeah. and they, took the plunge, learned on, along the way, made adjustments as necessary, all in the pursuit of performing to their, you know, their maximum. Um, we, a really interesting thing, I've been doing a lot of research. I mean, obviously I, I have my story and I could talk right. at length about many of the things. I, I don't want to be obnoxious like that. But there is so much research to suggest that, for example, when you, when you goal set for something that's meaningful, again, professional or non-professional, anywhere else, um, as soon as you identify a meaningful goal, their serotonin and dopamine release yeah. into the body, right? And, and I'm sure everyone listening knows this already, but they're essentially pleasure chemicals. Uh, dopamine motivates us. It makes us feel really good. It makes us feel more confident and it's, it, it's addictive. And when you throw yourself at something that's meaningful, that's released from the moment you identify that goal. Similarly, serotonin in, in a, you know, a time where mental health is such a big kind of ticket item right now, something that everyone is, is trying to involve themselves with, understand better and improve. Um, serotonin regulates anxiety and it reduces depression. And, and again, this chemical serotonin, it is released from the moment you identify a meaningful goal and all the way through the goal striving process for the, for the ups and the downs. Um, so it, it, we are better people when we strive for things of meaning. Again, going back to what's meaningful to you, a family member, what's meaningful to you, a community member, what's meaningful to you, someone in the workplace? Well, yeah, you know, I, I've been it's interesting you're talking about dopamine because I, I've been really focused on that recently in conversation and research because my, my mother has Parkinson's and was diagnosed four or five years ago, mild at this point. But the research they're finding right now is the correlation of a diminishing uh, or a diminishing form of dopamine in the brain that is a connection with Parkinson's. Yep. And, and it's one of the things we, we've been talking to about mom and you realize stay as you just said movement staying active going for it and, and having that kind of mentality helps with the chemical yep. that will at least help keep it at bay or slow down you know her process so i find yeah. that fascinating how it ties because you mentioned wellness and mental wellness as well yeah. it's kind of all tied together oh it's 100 percent. i mean essentially my keynote is about mental wellness i mean you could exactly. say of course it's about goal setting it's about goal striving it's about the power of choice accountability community culture but really, all of it stands for mental wellness. And also back to dopamine, just for one second, the goal doesn't have to be land on the moon. doesn't have to be, you know, it could, I mean, I'm going to sound so boring here. I, I did my accounts yesterday and on my zero, my financial platform, I just went through and I reconciled all my spending over the last week. Right. I, I hate admin and I did it and I felt amazing. There was a release of dopamine to the point where I cannot wait to get it done next week. And, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah, at a you know with a cheeky smile at the same time but yeah <laughs> but but it's i think it's an important message sebastian they the little things matter accomplishing little things actually matter it doesn't have to be just big things yeah. um and i think that's the message you're delivering when you talk about cleaning up your with me it's getting my expense reports done i, I mean just taking the time to do it because it's the hardest thing and the one thing i don't really want to do and then you have to take the time and do it but when you do it's like whew, 
I'm yeah. done at least for another week or whenever I'm going to have to catch up again, you know? Yeah. And then the question becomes, of course, for people who might be listening, well, how, how do I set meaningful goals? Exactly. We, we, there are many sort of generic goals that we think we should have or people in our society or parents or whoever they might be saying, this is important for you to do, but, but is it? And so we, we have this sort of eight step process. The first four steps are about creating your list. Second four are about a- activating it. And step four is actually creating a list, meaning that step one, two, and three is, is actually the, that's the exciting, really important stuff. Um, without going into all of it, I'll, I'll say this, and, and, and I know I spoke about this on stage, but if you imagine a wheel, a, a bicycle wheel, and the spokes of that wheel give it structure, allow the wheel to roll. Now imagine that your life is represented by this wheel. Right. A really important question is what are your spokes, i.e. what are the core aspects of your life that are so important to you that without you just wouldn't be yourself. You wouldn't be able to function. And so the question as opposed to saying, well, what's on your list straight away is, well, what are your spokes? And we found over the past two years of COVID because we've been running corporate wellness programs that there are 12 commonly used spokes or identified spokes. And I won't be able to remember them all, but physical health, mental health, um, impact slash giving back, professional development, key relationships, love, travel, creativity, it goes on. Um, if you're able to identify what yours are, on average, people have between seven and eight, and then you create goals that would go to strengthen each of those folks. Wow, you suddenly have a meaningful, personally relevant list, um, which covers every aspect of your life as you have chosen autonomously. Uh, self-autonomy is obviously such an important thing when it comes to goal setting. So that is, again, just an inter- for anyone who's interested in actually putting a list together, be it for your work life, your right. life, um, consider your spokes. I love that. So, so let me ask you, when you created your list and you started this, um, when did you discover the methodology? Because the methodology wasn't first, was it? No, no, because you discovered this, I would assume through uh, your journey. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, for those who who weren't at the keynote, I mean, I, you know, in in a nutshell, I was traveling around the world on a shoestring budgets, um, drifting might've seemed glamorous to others, but I was just Hmm. And then at 25 years old, I got a phone call whilst in Canada and I heard the news. I got given the news that one of my close childhood friends had passed away and it stopped me on a dime and made me reflect on, on life. And, and I think that, you know, that's that adversity gifting you with perspective. And in that moment, as you say, there wasn't a framework. I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, I just realized the particular question I asked was, if my friend who was 24 when he died, if he knew he only had 24 years on earth, if he sort of knew that, um, you know, for his whole life, would he have lived the same way or would he have done a few things differently? And I, I don't think he would have changed anything. A life far too short, but well lived. Right. I then, in the middle of the night in Canada, 25, just after I put the phone down, considered the same question for myself and thought, if today was my last day, could I look back and say, well, I wouldn't change anything. Or would I realize perhaps I would? And of course, the realization was the latter. Ah, I'm not very happy. So I just wasn't happy. So without a structure or anything, I just realized that personally, I wanted to prioritize I have happiness. I wanted to smile more. So I got a piece of paper and a pen and just went, just wrote down. <laughs> I wrote down near enough 100 things that I thought would allow me to smile more, enjoy life more, experience the world more, experience myself in different situations, all putting myself out of my comfort zone. I just 
really wanted to smile more and learn who I was. And that is a pursuit I dare say everyone is on. That, that's maybe the arc of the ideal arc of everyone's life. So right. yeah, there was no methodology. It was only afterwards I looked back and went, oh, hang on. So many of my goals are just about getting out of my comfort zone. Beyond that, so many of my goals are related to giving back. X amount of my goals are all about individuals in my life. There's a certain amount of experiential goals here. There's a certain amount of financial goals there. So retrospectively, I started to see that actually the tip of the iceberg of these wonderful goals that I actually got a lot of uh, acknowledgement about, funnily enough, you know, everyone, oh, tell us about the time you delivered a baby. Tell us about the time you married a stranger. Tell us, you know, whatever it might be. But it's what's below the water. That's actually the, the juice, the machine that we need to be sort of servicing. And that is the acknowledgement of what our spokes or core aspects are. Uh, I, I love that. And, and I think it's important because I think people think that you have to have it all organized and have a starting place. And it goes back to what you said, just start yep. and, and start moving. And then you can start to organize it as you move along. Yeah. And one goal is good enough. You yeah. know, a question I of course get a lot is, do you need a hundred things? No, <laughs> you just need one. You just need one meaningful goal. And by taking one action step, just one, you will feel better. That dopamine, that serotonin, that feeling of pride and a sense of satisfaction you might not have felt in a while. And it's okay to think about yourself. It's another thing, you know, it, it being selfish is such a horrible insult to call someone. It couldn't be further from the truth. It's very healthy to be selfish because I believe that leads to being selfless. And that's of course where this journey went with, with many of the things that were discussed on stage. Well, Sebastian, you, you, you shared a whole bunch of stories with us and um, I, I, it seemed to me your your passion, your enthusiasm even changed a little bit more when you talked about some of your goals that involved others, that, that it seemed more special. Are those the most special of all of your hundred? I, I think if you were to sort of zoom out and sort of say, well, what have you learned? What's been the greatest development? 100%, you know, this idea that I've been able to connect and, and, and help others. And of course, connect and uh, sort of, facilitate matchmaking of kindness between complete strangers. I mean, that is wonderful. I, I'm, you know, I, well, from, I get a lot of emails from people who are in pretty bad places, right. and which, which is awful, of course, you know, people who are on the brink of perhaps self-harm taking their life. And they will tell me that because of, they've somehow come into contact with a hundred things and the messaging behind it, they've turned their lives around. And they are, they have a list of meaningful goals. It doesn't even matter what they are, but they're just pursuing them and they feel better and they've all turned a corner. So whenever I get an email from someone saying, hey, I'm still alive, thanks to the messaging of a hundred thing. I mean, I, I, yeah, of course it's the best thing. Yeah, yeah. That, but that, I, wouldn't that, have got there. I wouldn't have got there if I hadn't in the first place done incredibly selfish things. Right. I, I wouldn't have got there if I hadn't married that stranger in Las Vegas, which is the first thing I did from my list. Of course, I don't go, I don't lead with that and say, by the way, this is the importance of creating a list. You can do stupid stuff like that. I, it's just the concept of doing stuff for Great. yourself that allows you to be the best version of yourself so that you can help others. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it seems like the universe put all that together. As you start to do things for yourself, you start to understand how you can do things for others yeah. and, and it kind of opens up. But I love that because I, I do think there's this balance um, for people that are very caring and giving. I sometimes think they're not selfish enough. Uh, and, and sometimes you have to be selfish to fulfill your own soul. So you could really be there to offer it for others. And I think sometimes that's missed. 
Yeah. Well, that analogy uh, of, you know, you get onto a plane and they will tell you in case of an emergency, oxygen masks will fall from the ceiling. They specifically say, put yours on first before right. your children's, then help others. And it is true. It, and what's interesting is if, if you look at it from a business point of view, every, you know, well-running business or association will have their targets. They'll know what they'll need to do to be a, a, a functioning business. And of course, they then have their targets well beyond that, but they know at a minimum what they need to do for themselves. If we don't earn this much money, we cannot help anybody, our clients, our, cons our consumers, whoever. But as individuals, we don't tend to do that. We don't think, well, what's a minimum for me? What do I need myself before I go out and try and help other people, be it friends, family, uh, you know, colleagues, peers, clients? Um, and that's something that I think there is so much opportunity for us to look into because once we give ourselves permission, permission, by the way, step one of that process, give yourself permission. It's a, a split second decision to just do that. But anyway, give yourself permission to, to think about yourself and, and the rest will happen really well. That, that is, um, that, that's probably the, some of the best advice that I think I hear given to anybody. I, I don't hear that often because yeah. we, we do, we feel like we're being selfish. Um, but I, I think being selfish is not thinking about yourself from time to time so that you can actually be there and show up for others. Yeah. Well, I think it shows up in performance and it shows up in culture, and which are two very different things. I actually gave a talk for an organization recently who you would have heard of. I, I won't, I'm not allowed to say their name, but they have a policy, which is becoming more, I think more sort of widespread, which is if this isn't the workplace for you, um, you don't have to be here. We want right. you to be the best version of yourself in whatever capacity that is professionally. We hope it's with us, but if not, move on. What a wonderful thing to hear from an employer. However, it's usually, I, I dare say usually, um, hey, stay here. This right. is, you know, this is what you're doing. Forgetting about the wellness of people and in, in, in all the other facets of their life. And, and I, it, it, I observe this a lot now, and a lot of my briefs are around this, this, this notion that, you know, that the, a modern workplace uh, is one which can sort of really integrate personal and professional development. And, and by doing so, really generate a positive culture, which leads to, you know, connection, open communication and, and care. Um, and, and yes, of course, that leads to much higher performance and right. you know, uh, re high retention rates and then a more engagement, the great resignation. It happens that open communication, goal setting, goal striving, goal sharing in a like-minded community is great to build culture and do all those wonderful things that everyone wants to be doing right now professionally. I, I think that's so important because we, we should be supporting each other as human beings with whatever is good for you and your family. Um, and, you know, we've recently for an organization that traditionally doesn't have a lot of turnover, we, we've had some of our, um, our, our younger support roles that are moving on in their careers, they're advancing. And I have always fully supported. I only have one question. Is this good for you and your family? Because if it is, I'll support it 100% because this is an indentured servitude. You don't have to stay with us forever. Our job is to prepare you for whatever's next. If it's not with us, it may be somewhere else, but, you know, maybe a little more Pollyanna, but it makes the world a better place to move somebody on that's better prepared, you know? Well, and there's so many times that the example of a workplace being likened to a family is given. Yeah. I love it here because it feels like a family. I love this annual event. I go, I go to an event called Patel, P-T-T-O-W, it's a marketing summit. And of all the events I go to, that one feels like family. And you'll hear people gloat about that, about what it, you know, that, that particular organization or whatever the uh, events, whatever. And it just, we should be treating ourselves like family. If you were a father, mother, 
um, and telling your kids, you know, sort of like fear mongering and forcing them to do things against their will. And I, <laughs> by the way, I'm not a parent and I realize there is a bit of a balance. But yeah, if we treat everyone, including employees and, and, and teams within a workplace like family with, you know, a really holistic approach to well-being and feeling good, you'll find that the, the function of that, that group, that team is far better. Um, so yeah, I, I love to hear that, that you're of course doing it with Ally. I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's funny. It's our DNA and it's it, we even use that vernacular. We refer to ourselves as the Ally family and, yeah. and it does. It feels like a family we're there to support. And, and I say like all families, sometimes you have frictions with your brothers and sisters. Uh, but at the end of the day, we all love each other and we'll get through it and we move on. Uh, yeah. But but it was interesting. We, we lost uh, recently, and I shouldn't say lost, one of our one of our people that's been with us for a while, she's moving on to a passion of her life. And it is rescuing animals with a, a shelter and a program that to her is her dream. And yeah. it's a passion she has. And it's funny when I heard this from, and I told her this later, because I was congratulating her and say, look, so few of us get the opportunity that our passion lines up with our professional aspirations. And yeah. you're getting a beautiful opportunity. And I said, but when I heard that you want to go save animals around the planet, I said, I told our head of HR, I got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing to combat that yeah. because what a great aspirational goal. And I, I, I love that you said that because I, I've seen too many bosses that almost take it personally mm. that somebody would even dare to leave their organization. Yeah. And, and it's like, look, we go back to what you said earlier and what we were talking about. Life's short. The, the clock's ticking. So make sure you're getting everything you want out of it. Yeah, and specifically work, you know. And, and I think, you know, you, you again, you talk about these sort of workplaces and good, well-functioning workplaces. You oftentimes find, like you have at our high, that, you know, empathy and compassion, these human, human traits, typically, right. we associate them with individuals, but companies can have these things too. Um, clarity, authenticity, a clear understanding of values are so important for individuals as they are for businesses. And so if we can all start to function with that sort of mindset, the, the world does really open up. And I mean, it, you know, if I was to be sort of really aggressive about it, you know, it, sure, uh, yes, I understand from a business point of view, you don't want people to leave. But at the right. same time, if you shook everything up and you put people generally wherever it was they felt happier, it would fall into balance again and everyone would be better for it. I understand the short-term pain of it, for sure. <laughs> but you, you'll find a replacement for that girl whose passion sits with animals and rescuing animals. How exactly? Beautiful. And the person who replaces her, fingers crossed, will be the right person for you and you everyone wins. I agree. And I, I've, I have noticed and I've treated it this way, but I've actually seen it come through to, in fruition is actually, it's an opportunity as well to say, traditionally really good people that are now moving on to their next thing have changed the job so much. When I'm replacing it, it's going to look different than the person leaving it because yeah. my needs are different. Yeah. Uh, my needs when I hired the person was to build what they've built. My, my needs moving forward may look very different. So in yeah. that, in those situations, I think there's an opportunity for leaders that we actually sit back. There's an opportunity to say, what should it look like now that I'm moving forward yeah. because of the great work that somebody's done there? Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love talking about the, the human element of leadership. It's yeah. not just numbers and figures and bottom lines. It's, it's, it's human. It's, emotional intelligence it's care you know it's you know i i don't want to sound too cheesy but it's you know it's love to some degree as well yeah it, it, i i don't think it's cheesy at all uh, yeah. i really do believe that and and the, you know the 
I, I when I talk to industry leaders, I'm always reminding them you pick up any Harvard Business Review and what they're discussing is emotional intelligence because most of us don't have it or yeah. we don't practice it enough. And, and it's an important one. But I, I think it's it's critical in today's world uh, to really be connected and understanding what that's going to look like. And the humanity of it, to me, is where leadership really kicks in. Yeah. Uh, the, the nuts and bolts, the strategy, that that's, that, that's more managerial. Yeah. Leadership is really understanding who are my people, what motivates them, and how can I help them achieve what motivates them? And, yeah. and that's, um, that's not always easy, but it, to me, it's fun because it's a, a little bit of a chess game. Oh, I, I, I love that. I mean, I could talk about this for hours, so stop me if we need to change subject. But I, no, not at all. I, we've been doing this eight-step pro, process we've been we're doing over COVID, eight, uh, eight steps to creating and activating your list. As I said, we run it in groups. And there are sort of two benefits to this outside of people having their own lists and, and progressing on their own things in life, personally, and professionally. But the two other incredible things that we found quite sort of accidentally in all honesty, but now we're obviously doubling down on, is this idea that when people work together, when employees from similar teams or different teams or an organization, when they work together and have a real understanding of who they're next to, you'll find incredible crossover. You know, oh, that person wants to learn French. So happens I speak French, you know, I can help. There's that sort of stuff, but also just an appreciation for who's next. It's it's not just a name on a screen anymore. It's right. a name in office. And actually, there's a person behind that name. So we found that this, this engagement, this connection that we talked about at the top of this interview is right. so much um, improved by virtue of going through a process where people get to know each other. Now, I'm not saying, hey, you have to use my program for that. Many yeah. programs offer that. But the concept's the same. So we're right. finding that that's one thing, you know, connection is, is, is very much um, catalyzed when we, when we set goals together and go through a journey. In fact, I was doing a in-person workshop in Melbourne recently with a very big finance firm. And as part of the uh, step two is reflection. One part of step two, you write your eulogy and people were doing group share. Oh, it's super heavy, but it's needed. Wow. And people were doing group shares in the room and there were things being shared in that room that were bringing people to tears, bringing people to hysterical laughter. And that all goes in, a, it all joins to form a beautiful foundation for, for growth. The other thing I'll say uh, it, to, to reflect what you had mentioned before about managers understanding what's important uh, to their staff is that just that, if you're able to go through this process and your staff, your teams are identifying really important aspects and goals within their own lives, professionally and non-professionally, if you're able to then see that data, if you will, from a managerial point of view, you can see, well, actually, I think we can help with these. Um, there's an overwhelming amount of people who, maybe animal conservation is important to them. I right. wonder how a manager employee, we can help that. So it, it offers opportunities. And it, look, it doesn't always pan out that there's a very clear cut, you know, action point, call to action, but it goes in the right direction at least. Yeah. And I think sometimes we as leaders think if there's not a call to action, we failed or it was a waste of time. And I think that time is never wasted. Yeah. You know, what you just mentioned, I, I completely agree with the connectivity and bringing people yeah. together. And I, I have an all company meeting every 90 days. I fly the entire company together. We're small enough that we can do that. Um, but most important, I mean, with, we're under a hundred employees. We're right at that hundred mark. Yeah. But to fly everyone together, I think it's so critical for connectivity and engagement and learning who your peers are because most of us are remote. Yep. We don't work in one office and we're all over the place. So the more I can bring them together to get to know each other, 
And that really is the outcome. And then outside of that, we roll up our sleeves and we try to break our model. Uh, it's always my challenge. What can I break while I'm there? Oh. And, and I don't think we don't do that enough as an organization as well to yeah. say, we, we, we know what we want to add. We know what's working, but what should we blow up? What should we throw out? Or what should we just completely start from scratch? And uh, we, we just had this conversation about our events. We use the team as a large focus group to yeah. say on our in-market events, how do we just blow up the model if we were going to blow up the model? And if yeah. it ends up where it is, okay, but let's take the time to say on a full whiteboard, what would it look like if you really were starting today and we could be bringing energy to it? Because yeah. I think that's what was missing around the world mm. over the last couple of years. When you look at live ticket sales are hitting all-time records for any live music event. Yeah, I'm like, people are craving that because it got taken away. And I don't think that's going back in the bottle anytime soon. So how do we capitalize on that? How do we bring that to life? How do we bring people to it or literally or bring, bring it to them? Yeah. I think those are opportunities, but I, I'm not sure if enough organizations take timeouts to think. The reason yeah. I bring everyone together, it's my timeout. Let's time out and see where we're at. Yeah. And, and, and again, it's, you know, this, this idea that, you know, we, our future is completely dictated by the, the goals we set and the action we take on those goals today and tomorrow and then the next day and so on and so forth. And so, you know, at a time where these live events are all happening, uh, which is great. Everyone's busy. You're busy. I'm busy. It's all fantastic. We're all smiling. Um, you know, it, it can't go without saying that, yeah, it's great to have these people come together. Like all my briefs at the moment uh, are basically, hey, our teams haven't been together for two years or many people in my company have never even met in real life after two right. years of working together. But it's great to get them together and, of course, have some beers and cocktails or whatever, you know, people do at conferences. But utilize that time. What do you want to get out of it? Is it you want to have a big powwow brainstorming session about the next step, what you can blow up? Or if not, what, what is it? So be very intentional. Um, be very intentional. And, 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 I, and I, you know, I just think as always, I, I'm such a big believer in what we create our tomorrow by what we do today. And so, you know, for those who are you know, looking at teams or their next event or opportunities or ideas, just be, just take the time to think about it. Because yeah. if you don't, you, you miss an opportunity. I love the word intentional, and I use that often, Sebastian. I think it's an important word for everyone to think about. Yeah. How can I be intentional, intentional with my words, my actions? Yeah. You know, and specifically with meetings, I agree with you. I, I have a purpose for every time I bring them together. Yeah. One of the purposes is them. Can I? But I even notice, like you know, if you leave them on their own, which we did, um, they tend to gather in groups yeah. of the people we're most comfortable with. So now, every now and then, not for all of the meeting. But I make sure we have assigned seating, so I'm mixing it up yeah. uh, because we gravitate to where we're comfort zone is instead of saying, nope, I'm putting you next to three people you really don't know very well yeah. so that you get to know them better when it's all said and done. Yeah, we are innately wired to connect and help each other out. I mean, even in our community right now, we see you know, daily like really lovely things happening. But there's a girl at the moment who needs a kidney. Um, she actually found a kidney. Many of our members offered to donate their kidneys. It didn't happen that way, but she now needs that. The kidney she eventually got, she needs that replaced uh, quite immediately. Oh, it, looks wow. like, it looks as though that's going to happen from a complete stranger in Ireland to a lady uh, living here in LA, coincidentally. So yeah, it's, uh, it's wonderful what happens when we get together uh, in all aspects of life. And you know, to, to be at your event in our high, which was just so enjoyable, um, you know, and, and I hope people enjoyed my talk too, but it was, it's just good to see that. I'm very fortunate to see this often now. I, I appreciate it. And we definitely enjoyed you. 
Uh, we, we've gotten the survey results. We definitely, they definitely enjoyed you, which is even right. better. Right. Um, what, one question on your 100 things. Um, how many left to do or are they all completed? No, I've done 76. I've got 24 wow. things left. Yeah, yeah. So of the 24, final question. We're, we're on your speed round here. Final question. Um, what, what most excites you or what most scares you uh, of the last 26? Well, they all excite me because, you know, I've, I've gone through a process that, uh, confirms that they're important to me. Right. So, I mean, actually, uh, yes, I'm, I'm refining my final 24 um, goals because over time, of course, our goals change as individuals, right. as businesses, you know, with time. Uh, but I've just identified a new goal uh, to swap out with an old one, which no matter really, which no longer really matters to me. And that is simply to start a tradition. I love the idea of tradition. I haven't really had tradition in my family. And so every year I contacted my sister and said, I'd like to start a tradition with you. Let's go on an annual trip. So happens that the last time we were together a few years ago before COVID, we went to Ireland uh, and I just went back to visit her and we went to the Great Barrier Reef. So we've done two trips so far over three years because of COVID, but now right. an annual trip. So again, goals don't have to be life-changing. They just have to matter. Well, and you said something else I think that is a great takeaway it's not a failure as your goals change and you replace goals. I thought that was an interesting one because I think so many of us get stuck yeah. that, oh, if I don't get this done, well, no, it's not a goal anymore. It's yeah. not a, in its very essence of its definition, it's no longer a goal. Yeah, and I mean, you think about, you know, Alhai, how long has Alhai been around for? 35 years now. The goals of Alhai 35 years ago are completely different to now. And, and I, of course, don't know what they, they were, I have a bit more of an inkling in what they are now, of course, but yeah, it's, it, it's silly. The same goes for people. We, you're different to how you were 10 years ago. You were different. You're going to be different in another 10 years. So, so am I. And our goals should change accordingly. And again, that is not based off just, a, oh, well, you know what? I think I should just do this instead. It's based off understanding what your spokes are. You know, there, there are 12 common spokes. You have probably seven right now. You might grow another one in the next two years. Make sure that as individuals and businesses, we're checking in to see what our values are, see what our spokes are, and then to see where we can actually improve on each of them. So goals should change. And if they don't, I think that, that lands us in trouble. A, a midlife crisis, perhaps as an individual, might be an example of someone striving for that goal for years and years and years without giving any thought as to why, getting there and going, oh, that doesn't matter to me anymore. <laughs> you know? So, Yeah. Sebastian, thank you. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for your energy and your enthusiasm. Okay. And can consider, and in all seriousness, thank you for continuing to inspire us. Um, to inspire us to think and to move. Um, I think that those are important messages. And, you know, you, you're, you're part of our Alhai family. Um, so feel free to utilize us any way you can. And most importantly, I am excited about your tradition and can't wait to hear what the next trip's going to be. That's a lot. Oh, of I appreciate that. And if I ever do another event for you or anyone else, I will not wear this cowboy hat. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> feel free so to wear the hat. I love it. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Of course. See you, Michael. All righty. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Meeting Room, presented by Associated Luxury Hotels International. Alhai is a global sales and marketing organization representing the finest luxury hotels, cruise lines, and destination management companies. For the latest industry news and to see Alhai's robust portfolio, follow us on LinkedIn and check out our website at alhi.com. To learn more about Sebastian Terry, visit sebastianterry.com.